Before we dive into the episode, I wanted to let you know I have a free on-demand masterclass called Five Steps to Writing a Novel Without Letting Perfectionism or Procrastination Get in the Way. In this free training, I cover things like where perfectionism comes from, how it's directly linked to procrastination, and what you can do right now to start making real progress with your writing. I also talk about the problem with popular plotting methods and how they can do more harm than good, especially if you're brand new to writing. And last but certainly not least, I share some of the most common mistakes I see writers make so you can avoid them and make this the year you finish your novel. If this sounds like something you're interested in, you can sign up for free at savannagilbo.com forward slash training. One more time, that's savannagilbo.com forward slash training to get your hands on this free masterclass. And the reason it's so important is that it's really hard for a person or a character to change when they don't want to change unless they hit rock bottom first. So by this point in the story, your protagonist has tried everything to accomplish or get that specific thing that he or she thinks will bring them happiness and fulfillment. But guess what? Even if they got or accomplished that special thing, it's not going to solve all their problems. So they have to hit rock bottom here, and then they have to realize that what they really need to overcome is their internal obstacle or that outdated worldview or that false belief. Welcome to the Fiction Writing Made Easy podcast. My name is Savannah Gilbo, and I'm here to help you write a story that works. I want to prove to you that writing a novel doesn't have to be overwhelming. So each week, I'll bring you a brand new episode with simple, actionable, and step-by-step strategies that you can implement in your writing right away. So whether you're brand new to writing or more of a seasoned author looking to improve your craft, this podcast is for you. So pick up a pen and let's get started. In today's episode, we're going to continue going through the 15 beats of Blake Snyder's Save the Cat story structure template. Specifically, we're going to focus on the beats that make up the second half of Act 2 or the second half of the middle section of your story. We're also going to look at how these beats show up in two different young adult stories, The Hunger Games and Everything Everything. If you haven't listened to the last two episodes yet, episode number 47 and episode number 48, I highly recommend pushing pause on this episode and going back to listen to those episodes first. I will link to both of those episodes in the show notes for easy access. As a random side note, you might notice my voice is a little froggy and that's because I'm just getting over bronchitis and my voice is still not up to its normal capabilities. I didn't want to miss another week of getting this podcast out, so bear with me and let's hope my voice lasts through the whole thing. As a quick recap of what we talked about in the last episode, This middle section is all about your protagonist learning and growing as they face the external obstacles or opportunities that the plot of your story throws their way. And like we talked about in episode number 48, they're usually going about everything the wrong way here too. Now, the last beat that we went over in episode number 48 was the midpoint. And remember, this is either going to be a false victory for your protagonist or a false defeat. So it's either been an upward, seemingly successful path in Act 2 so far, or it's been a big old bummer of a downward path. Now, in the back half of Act 2, after the midpoint, this is where we're going to see your protagonist change their tactics to either try, get, or accomplish that external story goal that they've been going after. But ultimately in this section, your character is going to reach the worst moment of the story yet, or that all is lost moment. And we'll see how this plays out in both of our case studies, too, because if you remember from the last episode, the Hunger Games had a false defeat midpoint and everything, everything had a false victory midpoint. So it's going to be fun to see the shape that each story takes in the back half of Act 2. So now that I've set the stage for this episode, let's quickly talk about word count and then we'll dive right into the beats. 
I'm not going to go into all the math on this because you can go back and listen to episode number 48 for the full breakdown of how I got to these numbers, but we're using the example of planning an 80,000 word novel. So in this section that we're going to cover today, that's going to be about 20,000 of those 80,000 words. And if you're using an average of 1,500 word scenes to plan out your draft, that means you're going to have about 14 scenes in the second half of act two here. Now, just a quick reminder that some of the beats in the Save the Cat method are going to be single scene beats, while others are going to be multi-scene beats. I'll explain more about that once we get into each of the beats, but just keep that in mind for now. And as a reminder, if you want to follow along and take notes or just see a visual of what we're going to talk about, I created a worksheet that goes along with this episode that you can download at savannagilbo.com forward slash scene map. So that's scene map, one word, and I will link to that in the show notes for you too. So without further ado, let's dive into the beats that make up the back half of act two, starting with beat number 10, which is the bad guys close in beat. The bad guys close in beat is a multi-scene beat in which the external and or internal bad guys really start to close in on your protagonist. So depending on the type of story you're writing, you might have external bad guys and or internal bad guys. For example, a horror story is going to be more about the external bad guys, like a monster or the alien closing in on your protagonist, while something like a romance will likely be more focused on the internal bad guys, like the protagonist's belief that she's undeserving of love. Most stories will have a healthy balance of external and internal bad guys, but just keep in mind that it can weigh heavier on one side of the equation, depending on the content genre of your story. So this multi-scene beat starts right after the midpoint, and it makes up about half of the scenes that are in the back half of Act 2. So in our 14 scenes that we're playing with in this section of the story, this is going to be about the first eight scenes, or scenes number 29 through 36 overall. After the midpoint happens, and after the protagonist realizes that he or she needs to change their tactics in order to get, achieve, or accomplish whatever it is that they want, it's time to implement their new plan. But the thing is, because they haven't learned the theme of the story yet, their new plan is still going to be flawed. And as they move forward, the external events of the plot are going to keep challenging them in ways that they're still not equipped to deal with. So this is the section where the consequences of all their flawed plans and decisions that they've made or executed up until this point are going to start to catch up with them. Now, one really cool thing here is that you can use your midpoint moment to inform your bad guy's close-in beat. So if the midpoint of your story was a false victory, then this section is going to be a downward path where things get worse and worse for the protagonist. If the midpoint was a false defeat, then this section is going to be an upward path where things seem to get better and better for the protagonist. But that being said, either way you go here, the protagonist still needs to deal with their internal obstacle or that false belief or wound that's holding them back. So even if it appears to be an upward path, it's not going to be all sunshine and rainbows. They still need to have that inner obstacle or wound or that false belief to deal with as they navigate the plot. So as an example, let's take a look at our two case studies. In The Hunger Games, we had a false defeat midpoint. So here we have an upward path where things seem to get better and better. Even though Katniss is still dealing with the external bad guys of the capital and the other tributes, things are starting to look up for her. She has some wins, right? She forms an alliance with Rue, and together they blow up the supplies that the career tributes are hoarding around the cornucopia. And during their mission, Katniss learns some critical information that the career tributes shot Peta and left him for dead somewhere in the arena. 
So objectively, this means one less person for Katniss to kill, but subjectively, it kind of reminds Katniss that she owes PETA for saving her life. So it's an upward path, but it's not all sunshine and rainbows. In Everything Everything, we had a false victory midpoint. So this is more of a downward path where things seem to get worse and worse for Maddie. First, Maddie's mom finds Ollie's rubber band bracelet inside their house, which leaves no doubt in her mind that Ollie has been inside their house before. This also confirms to Maddie's mom that Maddie's been lying to her about the boy next door the whole time. So because of all this, Maddie's mom takes away her internet privileges and fires Carla. When school starts again, Maddie sees Ollie less and less, and one day she sees him come home with another girl. This is just his lab partner, but Maddie doesn't know that yet. And this is quite a bit of a bummer for Maddie because she realizes that she's never going to be able to compete with a quote-unquote normal girl. And to top this all off, Maddie sees another fight between Ollie and his father, which prompts Maddie to buy two plane tickets to Hawaii so that they can run away together and be happily away from everything that's trying to keep them apart. So essentially, Maddie forms this belief or this idea that she can only be happy if Ollie is in her life. So that's how this beat shows up in our two case studies. Now, you might be wondering, how am I supposed to fill up these eight scenes that make up the bad guy's close-in beat? And my advice is to look back at your midpoint and to keep your character's overarching story goal in mind. So up until now, they've been trying to accomplish that specific external goal, but they've been failing. And then the midpoint occurs and it injects some kind of new information or new circumstance into the plot. So now what? How will your protagonist try to accomplish or get that main story goal with the new added information or circumstances? And then as you write each scene, I want you to ask yourself, what would my character do next based on what happened in this current scene I'm writing and based on how they feel about what just happened in the scene? So based on what just happened and based on how they feel about it, what's their plan? And again, you can learn more about writing scenes in episode number 40, which I will link to in the show notes for easy access. As I mentioned earlier, your story is going to lean one way or the other on the external versus internal bad guys spectrum. It really just depends on your genre. But the main point here is that you're putting pressure on your protagonist, pressure that grows, complicates, and escalates until he or she eventually hits the worst moment of the story, which is the all is lost moment and what we're headed to next. But anyway, that's beat number 10, the bad guys close in beat. Beat number 11 is the all is lost beat. And this is a single scene beat in which the protagonist hits rock bottom. So something happens to your protagonist that combined with their external and internal bad guys pushes him or her to their lowest point. So in the 14 scenes we have planned for this section of the story, this is going to be scene number nine or scene number 37 overall. No matter which direction your protagonist was headed in the last beat, the bad guys close in beat, all protagonists have to be brought to an all is lost moment or the very worst moment of the whole story. So whatever it is that happens, it needs to feel bigger than anything else that's happened in the story so far. It needs to seem insurmountable to readers and it needs to feel insurmountable to your characters. So when you're writing this beat, you really want to make it count because it's a really important one. And the reason it's so important is that it's really hard for a person or a character to change when they don't want to change unless they hit rock bottom first. So by this point in the story, your protagonist has tried everything to accomplish or get that specific thing that he or she thinks will bring them happiness and fulfillment. But guess what? 
Even if they got or accomplished that special thing, it's not going to solve all their problems. So they have to hit rock bottom here and then they have to realize that what they really need to overcome is their internal obstacle or that outdated worldview or that false belief. So to execute this beat successfully, you're going to want to include something called the whiff of death. And that's why this is the point in a lot of stories where characters die or almost die. And there's a reason for this. It's not just a box to check on a list of things that need to happen. So for example, if a mentor figure dies during the all is lost moment, the purpose of that is to force the protagonist to carry on and solve the rest of the problems or, or confront the antagonist alone. It forces them to look deep within themselves and to come to the realization that they've always had the answers or that they've always had the powers or the ability or whatever it is that's necessary inside of themselves the whole time. So that's just something I want you to keep in mind. But that being said, there doesn't have to be an actual death of a character in your story, like a metaphorical death or the death of a lifelong friendship or a project or even the death of an idea. But whatever it is, something needs to end here because this is the moment when your protagonist's old way of being or thinking dies so that a new version can be born. In The Hunger Games, this is when Rue dies. Rue gets killed by another tribute and Katniss is deeply affected because she's grown to care for Rue like a little sister. And because of Katniss's internal obstacle, because she was so focused on her own survival, Katniss wasn't there to protect Rue at this critical moment. So this is the worst moment for Katniss so far in the story. And everything, everything, the all is lost moment is when Maddie collapses in the hotel room in Hawaii. So her heart literally stops and she has to be rushed to the hospital. So definitely a really good and impactful all is lost moment for Maddie. Now, one last thing I want to point out is that whatever happens in this beat, it should happen to your protagonist and it should at least be somewhat his or her fault too. And the reason for this is because your protagonist hasn't learned the lesson or the theme of the story yet. So whatever actions they've taken before this moment or whatever mistakes they've made along the way, everything has kind of added up and it's culminating in this one moment. So in other words, even if the action itself that happens during the all is lost moment isn't your character's fault, the predicament that they're in should somehow be their fault. So your protagonist should in some way be responsible for this all is lost moment. Otherwise, there's not really a lesson to be learned for them in this pivotal moment. So looking back at our case studies, Katniss hesitates to go back to Rue initially because she's so focused on her own survival. Maddie lies about being on some medicine that's going to allow her to travel to Hawaii because she thinks that her happiness depends on being with Ollie. So as a result, she ends up in the hospital. And as a result of Katniss not being there to protect Rue, Rue dies. So hopefully you can see how in each case study, the protagonist is at least partly responsible for the all is lost moment because of their internal obstacle or wound or because of just how they're incorrectly prioritizing things. So anyway, that's beat number 11, the all is lost beat. Beat number 12 is the dark night of the soul. And this is a multi-scene beat that shows how your protagonist reacts to whatever just happened during the all is lost moment. In our plan of 14 scenes for the back half of act two, this would be the four scenes following the all is lost moment or scenes 38 through 41 overall. So just like the debate section that we went over back in act one, this is a similar beat where the protagonist thinks about what just happened and maybe even wallows a little bit. Your protagonist's specific reaction will really depend on what kind of person they are. 
Some characters are going to wallow while others might do something completely different. So you'll just want to consider who your protagonist is and how he or she reacts to bad news and the bad events of life before writing this section. Now, one thing I do want to mention here is that just because you're going to have several scenes that show how your protagonist is dealing with this defeat or with whatever happened during the all is lost moment, it's not just your protagonist sitting around feeling sorry for themselves because that would be boring. So even though your protagonist is pretty down on life and depressed about whatever happened during the all is lost moment, something deep inside of themselves is taking everything in, analyzing all the information and considering their next move. So this is really the moment where all the final clues are falling into place or when the protagonist really, you know, sees someone or something in a new light or when the truth finally becomes clear. And because of that, this multi-scene beat usually includes some kind of epiphany where the protagonist learns the theme of the story and figures things out. So they really have to face the truth in this beat. I mean, they've gone about things the wrong way, they've made some mistakes, and now they have to realize that the only way forward involves internalizing the story's theme and leaving their internal obstacles in the past. And just like the debate section in Act 1, this Dark Knight of the Soul beat raises a question. So what will the protagonist do now, or what's their plan? In The Hunger Games, Katniss loses it after Rue's death, but instead of focusing on her own survival right away, she takes some time to decorate Rue's dead body with flowers and pay her respects. And while doing this, she also thinks about the promise she made to Rue and vows to win the games for her. This is also where Katniss receives a gift of bread from Rue's district, District 11, and says a public thank you to them. So through her actions, you can really see that she's not just about looking out for number one anymore, or she's just not 100% focused on her own survival in this moment. She's starting to realize that some things are more important or, you know, some things are worth taking a moment for other than just being 150% focused on her own survival. In Everything Everything, we learn that Maddie is still alive and that she's in the hospital. So her mom arrives in this section, she flies Maddie back home, and then once there, Maddie breaks up with Ollie over Instant Messenger, and she basically rejects the theme by saying she'd rather be alive home in her room than out there in the world, which is an unsafe place as far as she's concerned right now, trying to live. After that, Carla gets rehired and everything seems to go back to normal until Maddie gets an email from her doctor in Hawaii who informs Maddie that she was never sick or that she never had the specific disease that her mom always claimed she had. Maddie confronts her mom who denies everything and claims that the doctor just doesn't understand. So it's during this beat that Maddie has a big epiphany because she shares all of this with Carla and Carla admits that she's always had some doubts about Maddie's mom's mental and emotional stability after Maddie's father and brother passed away. So that's Maddie's dark night of the soul moment. And on that note, I should mention that in some stories, this beat is where the protagonist moves back to the familiar world in order to recalibrate and move forward. So they might go home to where they grew up, they might reunite with an old friend, or whatever they would do when they're feeling lost and they're kind of just wallowing in everything. But if you do something like this in your story, or if you have your protagonist go back to the familiar world, things shouldn't feel like they did before. You should actually use this moment as a way to highlight how much your protagonist has already changed. So show readers and show the protagonist that they're not who they were in Act 1 anymore. And in fact, there's no going back. And sometimes this is part of what's going to help push your protagonist into Act 3-2. So just keep that in mind. 
And that's beat number 12, The Dark Knight of the Soul beat. Beat number 13 is the break into three beat. And really, this is the bridge between act two and act three. So this is a single scene beat in which the protagonist finally takes action to fix things or accomplish things in the right way. So because of everything your character has gone through in the story, and because of the dark night of the soul they just went through, he or she finally knows how to fix everything, including themselves. And of our 14 scenes that make up this section of the story, this break into three beat is the very last scene in act two. So it's going to be scene number 14 or scene number 42 overall. Up until this point or throughout the whole middle of the story, the protagonist has gone after what they wanted or what they thought would bring them happiness or fulfillment, and they've avoided learning the lesson of the story. So they've been going after what they wanted instead of what they really needed. And because of that, things have just gotten really messy. And in the last beat, the dark night of the soul, they've kind of had, you know, maybe an epiphany, a big realization, whatever it is, they know how to fix it now. So this beat, the break in a three beat, is all about facing and acting on the truth. So hopefully you've just brought your protagonist to a point where they finally understand the theme or the lesson of the story. And now it's time to show them acting on whatever decision that they just made in the last scene. So it's this decision and this first step or this first action that's going to carry them into act three as the new person they've become. And just like the break in a two beat that we went over in act one, this beat is going to be the bridge between act two and act three. So you only get one scene to do this. You only get one scene to show that they're taking their first step towards new action. And just like I mentioned in act one, when we went over the break into two beat, this decision to move into act three really needs to belong to your protagonist. So someone else can present the decision to your protagonist, but he or she needs to be the one to make the actual choice. In other words, your protagonist needs to be proactive about moving themselves into act three. And really, this is just because we want to give your character agency and also because we want to show readers that your protagonist has learned the theme or the lesson of the story. So just keep that in mind. Now, let's take a look at our two case studies. In The Hunger Games, the Capitol announces a rule change that says there can be two winners of this year's Hunger Games, not just one. Because Katniss has learned that there's more to life than just surviving, she decides to go find Peeta and save him alongside herself, even though it's going to be much harder to survive than if she was just on her own. In Everything Everything, Maddie takes the biggest risk of her life when she asks Carla to order a blood test that will finally expose the truth about her illness. So it's clear that she's determined to find the truth one way or the other and that she's learned the lesson of the story. Some risks are worth taking, even if they expose hard truths. So that's beat number 13, the break into three. And that officially wraps up the middle beats of the Save the Cat method. And I know we just went over a whole lot of information. So let's do a quick recap, starting with the word count that this section of the story makes up. If you're using the same math I used as an example, remember that we're working with about 20,000 words here and about 14 scenes at 1,500 words apiece. Beat number 10 that we went over is the bad guys close in beat. And this is when the external and or the internal bad guys really put pressure on your protagonist and kind of squeezes them through the funnel so that they are ultimately set up to realize that if they want to move forward and if they want to find any kind of happiness or fulfillment, they're going to have to change. Beat number 11 is the all is lost beat. And this is the worst moment of the story so far for your protagonist where everything feels impossible and insurmountable and just really difficult. 
So some kind of new information has come into the plot or something has happened and everything just feels awful. Beat number 12 is the dark night of the soul. So this is where the protagonist is kind of evaluating, analyzing, thinking about everything that's happened in the story so far, but especially what just happened in the all is lost moment. And they're just kind of figuring out what to do next. So usually this section includes some kind of epiphany that helps them formulate a plan or their next steps. Beat number 13 is the break into three beat. And this is where we see your protagonists go from who they were in act two to taking their first steps or their first actions as their new self as they go into act three. And that's it for the middle beats. If this structure resonates with you, there are a few really fantastic books that you can check out that I will link to in the show notes. My personal favorite is Save the Cat Writes a Novel by Jessica Brody, but there's also the original Save the Cat book by Blake Snyder too. Both are really great and both go into way more detail and have way more examples than I can possibly cover in a podcast episode. If this structure doesn't resonate with you, that's okay too. There's no right way to plot out a novel. But either way, I hope you enjoyed this episode and that it got the creative juices flowing. Remember, if you want to download the freebie that goes along with this episode, you can head over to savannagilbo.com forward slash scene map. And remember, that's scene map one word, savannagilbo.com forward slash scene map. So that's it for today's show. As always, I want to thank you so much for tuning in and showing your support. If you want to check out any of the links I mentioned in this episode, you can find them over at savannagilbo.com forward slash podcast. And if you haven't done so already, make sure you subscribe to the show because there's going to be another brand new episode coming out next week. If you're an Apple user, I'd really appreciate it if you took a few seconds to leave a quick rating and review. Your ratings and reviews tell iTunes that this is a podcast that's worth listening to. And in turn, that helps this show get in front of more fiction writers just like you. So that's it for today's show. I'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Until then, happy writing.